Views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station, its management, or advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. If you struggle with fear and anxiety, you know how powerless and stuck these emotions can make you feel. You've tried everything, but nothing helped you overcome these blocks. Dr. Friedman Schaub, award-winning author of The Fear and Anxiety Solution, created a special program which helped thousands of his clients to become healthy, happy, and confident again. Learn how to eliminate negative self-talk, let go of your emotional baggage, and replace limiting beliefs. With Dr. Friedman's accelerated program, you can break through your challenges. Visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. Welcome to Empowerment Radio. My name is Dr. Friedman, and I'm so glad that you decided to join me. Empowerment Radio is about giving you the insights, tools, and solutions to address some of the most challenging aspects of our daily lives. So sit back, relax, and empower yourself. Welcome to Empowerment Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman. And uh, yeah, you know, I talked about it last time. But I have to mention it again, this is one of probably the most interesting times that we can really look back onto. And I hope in a few months, we look back at all of this with a big sigh of relief. But right now, there is certainly tension, stress uh, on a global level, on a level in the community, and also on an individual level. And it has a lot to do, of course, with the election and the economy, but it has also to do a lot with the pandemic that is far from over and that just seems to come back, maybe even in a vengeance, maybe even worse than we had before. So let's all wear masks and make sure that we have some social distancing and don't go, you know, just into the oblivion of everything is fine because it's not. Now, we all know about COVID that the people that are the most affected health-wise are the elders, people that have pre-existing conditions. Now, there is another group that is very affected, not necessarily physically, but economically, and these are women. Like a study said that it's twice as likely right now for a woman to lose her job than for a man. And already from every, you know, job loss that happened, 54% or more have been women. And women are the ones that are carrying the burden right now of having to juggle the kids at home and the household and still having somehow to help out to make ends meet. There is a lot that right now is happening on the shoulders of women. And it just brings out more the injustice that has been a part of probably most society since ever. The patriarch that has been suppressing women and created this inequality is still alive and kicking. But I think things are changing. And things are changing because women are no longer just willing to get less paid for the same job or getting overlooked in a promotion or a leading position because they're a woman. And guys that may be less talented or less able are getting the jobs that actually maybe the female 
colleague would have deserved. Now, one of the reasons why women have not been able to compete is not only that the patriarch has suppressed that, but it's also that women have been consistently undermined in their confidence, consistently have been bombarded with unrealistic expectations, unrealistic ideas of what they should look like and what they should be able to do and what their place is. So confidence was not necessarily something they were spoon-fed with. And so I'm really excited that today I have an author who has been specializing, based also on her own experience, on helping women to build confidence, a solid confidence that actually does last. And for that, I am bringing on my special author uh, and guest, Kate McGinnis, who wrote the book Confidence Lost, Confidence Found. So, Kate, thank you so much for being on Empowerment Radio. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and excited about the possibility of being able to help more women. That's why I wrote the book. Now, you are a woman who has been really dealing with, uh, a, you know, confidence loss. Because, you know, when you look at your history, uh, that prompted to write your book, because the story started for you, not from not having enough confidence, because I think you had actually a lot of confidence, but then everything fell apart. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, it was really a series of dominoes that fell and fell and fell. Yes, I had a wonderful job. I had achieved a lot. I was uh, one of the leading women lawyers in Los Angeles. And because of that, I was hired to be the general counsel, which is the lead lawyer for a very, very big company, a Fortune 200 company. And that didn't go as well as I had hoped. Uh, the lead lawyer, chief counsel, sometimes has to say no. And sometimes the executives don't like hearing no. And I said no a bit too often, I guess. And I ended up being very abruptly fired. Just when I thought I was doing very well, all of a sudden, Two men walked into my office one day and said, we're putting out a press release before the market opens on Wednesday morning that you're no longer working here. Uh, and <laughs> a stunning, okay. stunning blow. Uh, and it only got more complicated from there. I had commuted with my husband every day. He was a lawyer, too, in downtown Los Angeles. So I called him and said, oh, will you please come pick me up? I just got fired. I want to go home. And he said, don't joke. I said, no, I was fired. He said, oh, don't joke. So I finally convinced him and I went home and essentially spent eight months working with him and other very good lawyers negotiating a severance package. Mm -hmm. And I was convinced, oh, well, the best thing really will be to get your severance in annual installments. Thought, well, yeah, this is a big company, a Fortune 200. Sure, this will be safe. Uh, so I thought. And uh, what I did at first was I started writing a novel. I'd always wanted to be a writer. 
And my only child went to a boarding school uh, in north of Santa Barbara in a beautiful valley, the San Inez Valley. And I thought, well, why am I here in Los Angeles? <laughs> my only kid is up in this beautiful valley. So I moved to the valley and I bought a ranch that was adjacent to a 6,000 acre nature preserve that could never be developed. And I had this, it wasn't a huge ranch, it was 20 acres, but it was right in the middle of nature. I had red tail hawks circling above me, uh, my rescue dogs, they roamed the ranch, they chased deer, and I had a horse. So it was quite wonderful. And my horse had a goat for companionship. So he was happy too. Uh, and all seemed to be going very well until through a series of mergers and acquisitions, the company that had agreed to pay me severance was acquired. Well, it was acquired by an even bigger company. So that should have been good. But then that company went into bankruptcy and kabam. <laughs> my annual payments disappeared and I was left with a ranch and a horse and a goat and dogs <laughs> and no severance and a son in college. So that really was a double hit to my confidence. I had more or less metabolized losing my job, losing the status, but Oh, the consolation was having this beautiful lifestyle. And then that got taken away too. And trying to sell a ranch in an economic recession was very difficult. Well, that was not even it, right? I mean, somehow it just tumbled down from there. Oh, yes. No, that's right. <laughs> the story only got worse. <laughs> or more interesting. Now that I look back, I can say... Uh, it did get more interesting. So I was at that point uh, married to my meditation teacher. And he had been had spent really most of his life devoted to transcendental meditation. And it turns out the center of transcendental meditation in the US is in a small town in Iowa, southeast Iowa, 9000 people half of whom are meditators who's gathered from all over the world. And the other half were pig and soybean farmers. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of this very strange community. And I have to confess, I was not as devoted to my meditation as my then husband was. He started meditating literally seven hours a day. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. a job. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's being hard, hard being married to a man who spends that much time not in his body, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was so heavenly, he was no earthly good. <laughs> and uh, I was waiting for the company that owed me money to come out of bankruptcy. I was paying my bills. I was getting by. I was not in bankruptcy, but... This company was, and they owed a whole lot of people money. And it took four years for the company to come out of bankruptcy. 
So mm. I was biding my time there in Iowa, figuring out what to do next. And then the marriage fell apart? Oh, yes, the marriage fell apart. It was, um, it was as he was, a very good man, but no earthly good. And so basically, you came from a high powered job, having it all, to going into a hiatus, which wasn't too bad, but the firing was certainly a blow, to not even having the financial security anymore, to not having the companionship in your husband, to being somewhere lost in Iowa. <laughs> so I can imagine your confidence went from a 10 to a two or less. And so you had to somehow find a way to build your confidence. And in some ways you could say, build your identity. And that's what we're gonna talk about after the break because what is actually confidence and how do we lose our confidence? I mean, for you, it was through all of these events, but I think a lot of people lose confidence while still having some kind of maybe familiar or stable uh, life but still, there is always this chipping away on their confidence. And what is that? And what can we do to stop that and rebuild the confidence? So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you traveling most of your day? Do you want to take Transformation Talk Radio with you anywhere you go? Well, guess what? There's an app for that. Just go to the App Store on your Apple device or the Google Play Store on your Android and search Transformation Talk Radio. Catch all of our live shows no matter where you are. Thanks for listening. Tales from the Merworld with Amira Bath. Exploring the Mysteries of Atlantis and Lemuria, airing every second and fourth Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Tales from the Merworld Radio is a blend of mythology, theology, and ancient history, and Amira's own soul channelings. Are you ready to explore and validate the possibility that we are much more than our Earth bodies? Amira Bath's Tales from the Merworld Radio holds safe space discussions for remembrances and memories of topics like multidimensional existences and simultaneous lives. Together, we will be raising our vibrations through stimulating conversations and the opening and releasing of the remembrance of our soul purposes for this incarnation. Join me, Amirabeth, for Tales of the Merworld Radio. You know, marriage is not always easy, but skills that improve communication go a long way. Tune in to The Relationship Rehab Show, recovering happiness in your love with Nancy Landrum and Dr. Pat each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Nancy is an author and teacher empowering couples to create and sustain loving marriages. Learn to listen, speak, and handle conflict with respect so your love can flourish. To learn more about Nancy and her work, visit NancyLandrum.com. Well, we are talking about how to lose and how to find your confidence again, and especially 
when you are a woman, because this is what my guest, Kate McGinnis, the author of Confidence Lost, Confidence Found, has been, you know, finding herself and, uh, and has been writing in her book about, as you know, you could say a, a handbook on how to do that, how to rebuild your confidence. But before we are delving into this, Kate, so what is confidence? What is your definition of confidence? I believe that confidence is having the belief that you can generally accomplish what you set out to do. Not everything, but you can generally accomplish what you want. And why is it that women have less confidence? Now, I'm not generalizing, but I think it's pretty well known that often women struggle more with confidence than men. And I think there are even some research and statistics about that. So what is the reason for that? Well, I, I know from your medical background, I'm sure you probably know as much and more about that than I do because I've really delved into it. And I think a lot of it we could talk about, as you did at the introduction, societal reasons. And women are trying to play, whether it's play at work or play at home or on the field, in areas where they were treated as outcasts literally for centuries. So they have that against them. But really, I think more basically, it has to do with biology. And we all, men and women, have about 86 billion cells in our being. They're specialized cells to transmit information called neurons. And men and women have different amounts of neurons in different parts of their brain. And women have more neurons in the part of the brain called the worry wart center. So women, because having more gray matter there, are more inclined to worry. And that worry sometimes takes the form of self-doubt. So there's one reason. And when we go back to brain structure, I would say that men have a lot more serotonin than women do. And serotonin really is a calming bomb. And men produce significantly more serotonin than men, women. I believe that women only have 52% as much serotonin as men do. So when men decide to act decisively, to take risks, well, they're maybe not so worried about it because they have the calm, the bomb of serotonin to help them through it. So now to talk about the heavy hitters, we have estrogen and testosterone. And those aren't the end of the day, but they certainly are very important factors. And because men have a lot more testosterone, again, they are more willing to take risks, more willing to act decisively. And again, those are things that society takes as hallmarks of confidence. So even if women are willing to do those things, society doesn't see it as easily in women. They have to kind of squint to recognize it. And I think one of the very funny anecdotes that captures this is if we take our way back to the financial recession of 2008, and what triggered it? How did that get started? Well, if you remember, the investment banking firm Lehman Brothers was the name of it, and it was the first one to go in the tank. 
And years later, at the World Economic Forum, a couple of years later, one economist said, well, you know, if that had been Lehman Sisters, it wouldn't have gone bankrupt. But because men are more willing to take risks, they had put themselves in a risky position and they went in the tank. So all of those biological factors and cultural factors have worked together to cause women to be less confident. Well, I would argue that, you know, you would say that whatever, you know, those maybe little weaknesses, the worry or the less serotonin or the, you know, not having uh, testosterone, but estrogen are actually strengths, you know, because this uh, being in just this uh, blissful denial that men often are, this idea of, you know, it's not a big deal to wear no mask. It's not a big deal just to, you know, do whatever and to just keep it open. I mean, we are seeing right now how the male bravado can actually create a lot of problems. And we can also see how female leaders like in New Zealand or in Germany have been much more cautious and much more thoughtful. So maybe we are interpreting this as worry, but maybe it's a much greater ability to see all different kinds of angles and, uh, and be not as shooting from the hip, but more like coming from a very thoughtful analysis of what is really the best way forward. So isn't that something that actually is a strength? And unfortunately, our you know, society that is so used to be dominated by that more male energy isn't yet really recognizing this as a strength? That is a wonderful point, absolutely. And really, there are now studies being done of corporations and whether they have how many women they have on their boards, if at all. And some of the studies, these have been done by uh, a nonprofit group called Catalyst, and they have demonstrated that boards and executive groups that have more women have better financial returns because they are not so willing to shoot from the hip and take yeah. risks. Yeah. And I'm, No, I mean, I think that we, we just have to also, you know, maybe change our ideas on what good leadership is or what it means to, you know, really have an, an empowered person, uh, you know, calling the shots. And that may be just different than what we are used to. But a question for you is, why is it that when women are uh, competing or when women are often in uh, in power positions in big companies that they are called out as you know too ambitious or cold or they're not really feminine they're you know more masculine and is that that women actually do change or is it that their men are just interpreting them as such oh i think it is probably 85 percent interpretation I do think there really is a phenomenon uh, sometimes called the queen bee, but it is so difficult for women to survive and succeed in a male-dominated environment that they can become very competitive with each other, maybe even more competitive than males. And so unfortunately, in those situations, you don't often see women reaching out to help another woman. 
So I think that's something that is maybe beginning to change when you look at Sheryl uh, Sandberg's book, Lean In. She was certainly trying to do that. And she has ongoing efforts in that. Uh, uh, she has many chapters of a lean in organization. Mm -hmm. Now, we can admire that without admiring what's going on at Facebook. <laughs> I was just about to say she's just working for the wrong company, unfortunately, but uh, that's another story. But what would you define and who would you define as a confident woman? You know, someone that you would say, this is a role model of female confidence. Oh, my goodness. Right now, I would say Nancy Pelosi. Wow. And what makes her, in your mind, a confident woman that you feel is a good role model? Oh, well, in terms of what action she's doing now, it seems like she is, I would say, hanging tough in negotiations with the Trump administration about a stimulus package Uh, she has really, I think, done a marvelous job of that. Now, a lot of people would probably politically not agree. So let's keep, you know, that aside. But would you say that there is a definition, like a confident woman is dot, dot, dot? What, what would be the, the definition? A confident woman is one who is willing to take measured risks and willing to act decisively when she has sufficient information on which to base a decision. Um, and if you're looking for another non excuse me, non-political role model, I would think about um, Christine Lagarde, who's the mm. head, has been the head of the IMF. I think now she's mm. the head of Europe's Central Bank. And she certainly is, fills those criteria. I have to, of course, add one other woman, which is Angela Merkel, which, yes. uh, who, and certainly Michelle Obama. So, I mean, there's a lot of good role models right now out there. And one of the things maybe that I find Uh, so beautiful about these women is that they also are not only measured and strong, but uh, they also come from the heart. And, uh, you know, when you look at Angela Merkel doing what she has been doing for refugees, and yes. uh, when you look at Michelle Obama, who just is someone that I feel like goes right to the core of a human being, the way she expresses herself. And I think that's just a quality that, uh, yeah. I deeply admire. Now, of course, these are outstanding women, but I do believe that your book is not about, well, sorry, you can't be a Michelle Obama or anyone like that, but you're actually giving hands-on practical tools on how to rebuild confidence. And, and that's what we want to talk about after the break. And one of the tools that I find uh, really is very important is that that sense of awareness and the sense of just, you know, coming back to yourself. And you talked about meditation and, and that this is a first step of confidence. And then you lead into authenticity and what is actually authenticity. So we'll be right back after the break with that and more on how to rebuild your confidence. So stay tuned.
times do you find yourself saying, it was nothing, or just doing my job, when really you knocked it out of the park? How did you get like this? Next time someone tells you, great job, you'll know how to accept it and not deflect it by listening to Courage to be Seen Radio with host Sherry Clark. Sherry Clark is an experienced global engineering leader, coach, and mentor. From her experiences one-on-one coaching to corporate consulting and executive coaching, Sherry has learned many women need at least three things to discover and face success. Learn about the ACES program, how to survive male-dominated fields with grace and authenticity, and reach the top without ever once giving up on who you are. Courage to be Seen host Sherry Clark explores the awesome power of your entire self and how far you can go by being more you. Check out her website, CourageToBeSeen.com. You have the courage to be seen. See you later. Yeah, welcome back to Empowerment Radio. I'm here with Kate McGuinness, and we are talking about building confidence and how women can build confidence. Whether you lost it or whether you never had it, there are ways to do that. And Kate, before the break, we talked about meditation and going inwards and having awareness. And of course, everyone knows this is important for anyone. But why is it important for confidence? Well, I think it is uh, particularly because when you become aware of what's going on in your brain, what those 86 billion neurons are doing, then you can begin to redirect them and choose and direct yourself towards a path that will build confidence. But what's important is to be able to choose and to make the choice to say, I want to be more confident. I want to be able to get on the highway and not be afraid of eight lanes going past. I want to be confident when I talk to my group, when I talk to my son's teacher. So decide I am going to do it. And making and setting that intention basically primes your brain to make the change. So the intention is very important. And then in terms of mindfulness and being aware of what you're doing, okay, you have the intention, but you have to really repeat behaviors that cause you to feel more confident. So we have intention, and my formula is intention plus repeated attention. So attention is paying attention to doing tasks that can make you feel more confident. And it's mindfulness, really, that lets you have that attention to what you're doing. And when you become attentive to what you're doing, and you repeat it. I mean, my book is really not a panacea. You have to put work into it and find behaviors. And my book has a whole lot of suggestions. But find behaviors that work for you, and you repeat them, then you can begin to build your confidence. Yeah. And, you know, I want to just add when it comes to intention setting, you know, some people, I do work with a lot of people that struggle with confidence and also fear and anxiety and uh, all that is connected to that. But uh, similar to saying, I just want to be happy. 
what does that actually mean? And I want to just be confident it's a, it's a similar kind of vague definition that can be there, you know, in all different kinds of expressions for different people. So when you set an intention, maybe it's important to also add to it, what do I actually want to believe about myself? You know, you mentioned the, the driving on the, on the freeway. You could say, well, I'm going to have the intention to be a confident driver who knows what she is doing no matter what the traffic is, or I am someone who knows what she says in the meeting and can uh, knows that she has a lot to offer. So wouldn't you uh, agree that it's very important to sometimes get specific on what part of the confidence structure you want to build? That's a really an excellent point. I like that. If, if I were to issue a second edition of the book, <laughs> <laughs> I we should write it together. <laughs> yeah, spell that out. Yeah, well, one of the things that you also say in the book is authenticity. And that is a topic that I just really, really love because so many people mention that, oh, I want to just, you know, be more authentic or how I am is not authentic. But they have a hard time to actually know what is authentic? What is their authentic self? And, and what would you say? How do you help people to, to define that or find out more about that? Well, I think one of the ways to start is to some extent do an inner inventory. And so you might say, what are my values? What's important to me? And my book actually has an appendix of possible values because we don't all share the same values. So some people, it may be success. Some people, it may be achievement. Some people, it may be family, community, giving back. Those are all possibilities. But figure out what your values are. That's a good starting point. And then also part of the inventory would be looking at your strengths. Okay, I really care about financial success. I want to be notorious. I want to be the deal maker. But then you look at, oh, well, yeah, I, I'm not very good at numbers and I don't like speaking. So maybe when you put the values and the strengths together, you may decide, well, no, that really isn't me. And another way that really ties in with confidence is to think about your story, who you are, and uh, I love Steve Jobs had this wonderful line about uh, don't waste your time living somebody else's life. So yeah. Yeah. what is your life? And I think so often, particularly people who are struggling with confidence, have a negative storyline in their head. They tell themselves a story about themselves. I was coaching a woman who... Uh, had gotten downsized and just couldn't even get the energy to search for a job. And she started to search, but she couldn't have the energy to fill out the applications. I mean, every step. And she said, oh, I, I hate this because I'm such a loser. And then in talking to her, well, you know, why do you say that? Well, my job history is so bad. And it turned out that she had had a good job and her cousin was diagnosed with cancer and she took leave from her job so she could help take care of her cousin. 
And then mm. she got another job, very good job. And then her cousin died. And she took care of that, another job. And so as she and I talked, and I heard that story. I said, you're not a loser, you're a hero. Look at what you've done. And if we can be authentic, really look at ourselves, but look at it kindly, perhaps with self-compassion, and stop being very hard on ourselves, then we can, if we know our values and our strengths, and we know our story, I think those are ways to build authenticity. Yeah, isn't it amazing how often uh, men and women are just down on themselves. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm often talking about that there is a self-worth account and, uh, and we are certainly emptying this account all the time. And women especially emptying their account by giving and overgiving and taking care and pleasing and hoping to get a little bit of appreciation, but usually it's not really what they hope for. It's not really filling them up. and but at the same time, they're even more emptying their accounts by having negative self-talk, by being critical, by telling themselves, I should be, you know, doing more, I should look differently, I should be a different person. And, and so being aware of that, you know, you write in your book also about the importance of the inner critic and, uh, and how to put the inner critic on mute. I think that's a really important piece that I think just stopping negative self-talk and stopping the depletion of our self-worth naturally can build more confidence. Yes. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that that is a huge drain. And, and when you talk about the examples of how often people do that, I'm reminded of uh, the work of Barbara Fredrickson. You're probably familiar with her. Mm -hmm. uh, and she talks about needing to have two, three, I believe, positive interactions for every negative interaction. So think about the stories that you tell yourself. Can you tell yourself three good things for every one bad thing that you say? And again, there's a place where mindfulness can come into play. What are you aware of? Are you aware that you're just routinely saying bad things to yourself? You look at yourself in the mirror and you've put on weight and you say, oh, what a hulk. And every time you pass a mirror, you say, oh, what a hulk. But if you can hear that and stop it, and maybe you can say, oh, I have beautiful eyes, or I have beautiful hair, or... If you can't do that, say, hey, I'm a good mom. I'm a good person. Turn yeah, those yeah. negatives. Switch that ratio around to your favor. And does this, in your opinion, have to do with the perfectionism that women often are dealing with? This idea of, well, I have to criticize myself because it's not good enough. It's not perfect yet, whether it's appearance or whatever they are doing. Yes. I mean, perfectionism is just a real demon for women. And it is, as you say, it can be appearance, it can be anything else. And there's some interesting studies that, that suggest that perfectionism and even the inner critic probably go back to being formed around the age of eight and maybe earlier so that 
at that time, we're very vulnerable physically. We need food. We need shelter. And so who provides that? Well, we have to get the approval of the people who provide that. So we get really hooked into doing things that please them. And I think that's really where you see perfectionism and negative self-talk coming up. And one of the things that I read after I'd finished raising my only child, and it said, well, your children's inner critic uses words that you used with them when they were a child. And that was just like, oh, (laughs) what did I say? What did I say? I know, I know. This is definitely, you know, you hear your parents in your head very often when you are, you know, criticizing yourself for something that when you actually look back, you personally didn't even have that belief, oh, there is something wrong with that. I mean, I as a child was perfectly happy being happy-go-lucky and not worrying about math. And I certainly hear my mom still yelling at me about having a bad grade in math. And so that, like, you know, work harder, do more, that was, you know, God bless her, haunting me, uh, haunting me for a long, long time. So, yeah, that's definitely something that the inner critic is not necessarily our idea, but it's something we are susceptible to. But along those lines about authenticity, don't you also feel like sometimes that people know who they really authentically are before the time of the inner critic. It's almost like if you can rewind time and remember who you were at the age of six or seven, what you, you know, how you looked at life, how you, uh, you know, saw yourself, that that has a lot to do with your strengths and your innate gifts and that it's important to go back and, and revisit that. I think that's an excellent point, and I'd really like to talk to you a little bit more about that. Let's do that after the break, because we're going to go in a quick break, and I think it's a really important topic that I love to, to delve into. All right, let's take a quick minute to have a break. Message delivery by Lisa Ann. You can't make this stuff up. Tune in every first and third Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Message delivery is an inspirational show about the journey to enlightenment and spirituality. For more information or your own personal message delivery, visit AngelMessages2U.com. That's AngelMessages, the number two, the letter U.com. We remember a time when you could simply form a thought and it would manifest. The harmony was forgotten, but it is returning now. The power of inspiration and awakening radio with Julia Griffin on TransformationTalkRadio.com each second and fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific will take you on adventures through the heart and spirit exploring who we once were. This intuitive healer studied under the guidance of wolves, learning from their wisdom to master a higher frequency for a new state of mind. Visit OneTrueSelf.com.
Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. We just talked about how the inner critic can kick the authentic little self to the curb and how to remember again what that actually is, what we bring into the world that we are aware of when we are maybe six or seven and then all of a sudden that gets crowded out. So you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yes, I would, because I've just recently gone through a great exercise on that. Uh, I've been in a program and one of the issues that we were asked to address was who is your inner sage? And how do you find that inner sage, which would be, as you say, your authentic self. And the task that we were given was so powerful. It was go back and find a picture of yourself when you were a child and look at that child and look at the eyes of that child. And that's who you are. That is the unique, special being that you are that is basically free of all of those inner voices and seeds that are planted by someone else. And I lost the sound. <laughs> oh. Olivia, do you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. It looks like we've uh, we've lost Kate's sound. Kate, we lost your sound. Okay. Oh, no, you're you back. Are. Here we go. Okay. All right. So you went to pre-verbal for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I love this exercise. So did you look at your own picture? Oh, I did look at the picture. And uh, so I found a picture of myself as two or three. And mm. I am laying quite fearlessly with my head on the chest of a very big dog. And I'm calm, fearless, and quite happy. Uh, and so that really showed me, reminded me of who I am. And if there are times when you're starting to beat up on yourself, think about that sage, that precious child that's inside of you. And think of that person and not the one who's been really constructed, kind of implanted as an alien in your brain that, oh, no, you're not good enough. <laughs> Go back. Yeah, to and that's, I think that's a wonderful way to also remember what you're here for. You know, for me, it certainly was something to know that I love to talk to people, love to connect to people, understand people. And I already did this as a child all the time. And, uh, you know, through this little detour of becoming a physician and a researcher, now really going back to, I mean, since 20 years, going back to talking to people, understanding people, going, you know, into those deeper places. That is something that as a child I enjoyed. And, and I think I had to remember that in order to find my mission or my purpose again. And I think a lot of people just, uh, you know, can benefit from going back to their innocence and and just going to the pre-inner uh, critic time. Now, in order for you to build your confidence, what would you say was your key? You know, you had been dealing with so much, and, and I think most of the tools that you're describing or all of them, you have certainly practiced yourself. What was for you the biggest 
or what made for you the biggest impact? I would say what made for me the biggest impact was the coach that I had. And uh, I dedicated my book to her, Pat Adson, and she just passed uh, about a week ago at 90. Wow. She was still coaching. <laughs> and I ended up uh, great fortune being paired with her in my coaching school. So in my desire to get back to California from Iowa uh, and needing uh, some stream of income, I decided, well, okay, I'll, I'll be a coach and I'll work with other women lawyers. And so I went to coaching school and one of their requirements was that you be coached by their one of their master coaches. And so I was put together with her. And she really was, uh, you know, my guide through the dark wood. And she showed me a lot of these tools. Uh, but for me, the biggest aha, the biggest revelation was when I found out that my inner critic was so omnipresent, I didn't even know she was there. Mm -hmm. It was just this constant background and gaining mindfulness, which she encouraged me to do, and getting aware of that critic finally let me start to manage her. Now, do you have compassion with a critic? Oh, what a great question. Because she's not really trying to make you miserable. I mean, she's probably just trying to make you perfect so that no one's going to criticize you That's or right. judge you. So I'll be safer, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll exactly. get food and lodging if I do what I'm required to do. Uh, well, that's a great point. Uh, what I have started to do, uh, so it's not exactly compassion with the critic, but when I look back on things that I wish I had done differently, I've started to empathize with the person, myself, who did the things I regret. So, well, why did she do this? Why was she hard on these people? Why was she so negative? So there, I guess I'm having compassion for the evildoer, so to speak. Uh, but having compassion for the critic, wow, that's a very interesting idea. Well, I just, uh, you know, often feel like that this is one of our, you know, very, uh, you could say, uh, engaged and motivated and dedicated inner protectors who ultimately has learned that the best way to go through life is not to make mistakes. And, uh, and it's, you know, yeah. usually built on other people that just pointed out all the time, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't look like that. And so the inner critic took notes over and over. There is a whole playbook that we all have that says, you know, this is what you need to be. And, and it just tries to keep you in line because it's looking for safety. It's looking for belonging or love or acceptance. And, but I think what you probably have noticed too is the more you have been building your confidence, maybe the quieter the inner critic became. Absolutely. Yes, certainly. I love that point that you made 
about the inner critic and having compassion for the inner critic. <clears throat> so if we can think about the inner critic as the child who yes. is memorizing the lines that their parents give them, then we can have compassion for that child. We can Definitely. think about, oh, she was so frightened. She was so worried. Oh, of course, that's why she was doing that. And then we can have compassion. So thank you. That was a lovely point. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're welcome. And I really love what you said about that the biggest difference that, you know, you had in your journey was ultimately having a coach. And I think yeah. what a coach does for you is not only giving you the tools, but it's giving you the belief in yourself. So I feel like, you know, for all of you who are listening, you know, I think, Kate, you are coaching people as well. And, uh, you know, certainly is something I'm doing, but just also don't be shy to ask for help and don't be shy to have someone that is by your side and you can borrow belief from someone who sees you without the old lenses from your past, but can really point out to you more the truth of who you are and how you may uh, sometimes forget or ignore that truth. So reaching out for help is certainly something that I find, like you said, incredibly helpful while you're building confidence. Yes, absolutely it is. And whether we do it in that focused way, which I totally agree with, also having people you can reach out to and building connections, that's part of confidence too. And so making a conscious decision to spread your social circuits. And that's especially hard right now in the COVID era. But yeah. to do what you can to stay in touch with old friends and maybe even, I guess, over Zoom, make new friends or over social distance. But connections can be very important. Well, one thing about COVID that I think is so, even though it's hard, it's also so helpful that it makes us realize that we are all in the same boat. You know, often we are seeing ourselves as outliers and isolated and different than everyone else, but somehow we are also realizing we are all equal because we are all dealing with this challenge and we are all more or less uh, feeling, you know, maybe isolated or disconnected. So there is a, a desire to reach out and connect. But speaking about connection, how can people connect with you? Oh, thank you. Well, they can reach me, Kate, at katemcginnis.com. And I should say, McGinnis is spelled in the most difficult way. It's like the Guinness Book of Records or Guinness Stout and put an MC in front of it. Uh -huh. So, com, and I'd be delighted to hear from them or uh, on Twitter or Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm on all those channels, and I'm always touched when I hear from a reader. Um, I did get a note from a reader who said I had changed her life, and that, of course, <laughs> was the best possible review that you could ask for. Well, it's a fabulous book. I can highly recommend it. Confidence Lost, Confidence Found. There are so many great tools and inspirations in it. So if you are on that search, on that journey for confidence, read the book, reach out to Kate, reach out to me, 
And uh, there is always a way to get back what you have lost or rebuilt what may have been destroyed. So thank you, Kate, so much for being today on Empowerment Radio. It was really such a pleasure to talk. And uh, I hope we can do this again. And thank you so much to all the listeners and those on Facebook Live to tune in. We'll be back uh, in two weeks. So stay tuned until then. And make sure to be kind to that inner critic, but also tell him or her, please realize I'm much better than you think I am. You've been listening to Empowerment Radio with Dr. Friedman Schaub. Join Dr. Friedman every first and third Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives. To learn more about how Dr. Friedman's personal breakthrough program can help you overcome fear, anxiety, and low self-esteem, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. 